2 Kings chapter 13. And we are looking at our next king in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, one of the things um, that we probably learned the most in life is that things um, don't always go according to plan. Um, life can get quite complicated sometimes. Now then, I can laugh and laugh. Life can be quite complicated sometimes, especially when it comes to technical things. They're great when they work. If you can't get the PowerPoint up, Josh, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, uh, but oftentimes, you know, we recognize the fact that sometimes life is complicated from no fault of our own, and sometimes life is complicated because of our choices, because of our mistakes. We recognize that as Christians, um, when we start to put a foot wrong, God will chasten us. You know, the Bible says that those that God loves, he chastens. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. God's chastening hand upon the believer is always to get us to go back to where we need to be. If we're heading in the wrong direction, um, the Lord is going to chasten us to turn us around, to put us back on the right path, to, to correct us so we don't continue to make mistakes. And what we've seen through the, the long list of kings that have come um, before us, and I think we've looked at about 19 kings um, so far, um, we just see that when they're not walking in accordance with God's word and God's will, things don't go perfectly. There are issues and problems. We only see eight good kings out of the southern kingdom uh, of 20 kings in, in Judah. And we only, uh, we'd never see any good kings out of the 19 kings in the northern kingdom. Uh, and we see um, hatred, and we see power struggles, and we see fighting, and we see death and destruction and sin. And uh, it, it just boggles the mind that we, we don't seem to learn uh, from our mistakes. And uh, that's certainly true of the king. So last week we looked at um, Joash, um, who was um, the, the son of um, Ahaziah. Uh, and he was hidden, if you remember, because when Ahaziah died, um, Athaliah killed everybody. Um, she absolutely destroyed everybody um, because nobody else was going to uh, reign. And uh, Sorry, I said that Joash was the son of Ahaziah. He wasn't. He was the son of Jehoram. Um, so um, Athaliah killed everybody, and Joash was saved. But he only did that which was right in, in the eyes of the Lord until Jehoiada died. Um, so he, we looked at him as being the king of dependency. He was dependent on his auntie for his deliverance. He was dependent upon his uncle for his discipleship. But he wasn't dependent on God for his direction. He was dependent on himself, and he, he didn't uh, end so well. And the king we're going to look at today um, is um, Jehusen. So Jehoiahaz, he starts reigning in the 23rd year of Joash, so he's reigning in the northern kingdom, and 2 Kings chapter 13, and we're just going to look at nine verses, uh, 2 Kings chapter 13, starting in verse uh, 1 through to verse 9. In the 3 and 20th year of Joash, 
uh, the son of Isaiah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel and Samaria and reigned 17 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, the king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. And Jehoahaz besought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, because the king of Syria oppressed them. And the Lord gave Israel a savior, so that they went out from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before time. Nevertheless, they departed not from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin, but walked therein, and there remained the grove also in Samaria. Neither did he leave of the people to Jehoahaz, but fifty horsemen and ten chariots and ten thousand footmen, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and had made them like the dust by threshing. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz and all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehoahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria, and Joash his son reigned in his stead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together today and for this opportunity to come around your word. We pray that you continue to speak to our hearts, Lord, and that you would help us. When we look at these various characters, Father, we recognize that some were good, some were bad, and some were just plain ugly in their character and in the way in which they behaved. And Father, we pray that we might take uh, an example from each and every one of those. For those who behave badly, we would be uh, mindful of what to avoid in our lives. And for those that walk in accordance with your will, that we would take a leaf out of those books, that we too might have a pleasing testimony before the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we just ask today now, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at uh, Jehoahaz today, and um, I've titled him the King of Carnality. Um, carnal, uh, the word carnal just means to be fleshy. Uh, it's basically what we are in our normal human nature. It's, uh, the Bible describes it simply as an animal instinct. Romans says, because the carnal mind is enmity between God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. And that's what we see in the life of Jehoahaz. He is just carnal through and through. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we, um, it, it was really interesting. Um, doing my, um, uh, I'm uh, doing a, 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 trying to do a master's degree at the minute um, in divinity and um, we had to do a, an exegetical paper um, last week, and everybody on the class did something from the New Testament. Um, and I was the only one who did something from the Old Testament. Uh, and it's as if today people think that the Old Testament is irrelevant. That, well, that's, you know, that's, that was written to the Jewish people. So therefore, as Christians, we don't need to study the Old Testament. Listen, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Um, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ can be seen from Genesis chapter 1 through to Revelation 21. You know, the, the Lord is in every single page of the Bible. Um, and the Bible's a practical book. You know, it, think about it. Um, let, me, and let me ask you this question. How many of you have, have, have gone really old-fashioned and put photos in a photo album? Do you remember doing that? Um, you, you might have gone with modern technology and done a photo book. Okay, so how many of you put in your worst, ugliest photos in the photo book? 
you know, it, it, it tickles me. You're going through photos and, and you'll be like, don't put that one in. You know, I, I don't know the way that dress looks on me. Don't put that one in. Or my, my hair is blowing in a certain way. Don't put that one in. Or my makeup's not quite right in that one. Don't put that one in. And I, I will admit on certain occasions I've said, oh, that's not a flattening angle. Can you um, change that one? We want to put our best foot forward, don't we? Well, you think if, if we were recording our history, there would probably be some things that we would leave out. We don't really want that recorded because that doesn't paint us in a good light. But God has put everything in, warts and all, so that we can learn from it. Uh, you know, we can learn from Jehoahaz's life. Was, was he a, a great king? Not really. Was he a great example? Not in a positive sense, but we can learn from him. We can see how he was carnal, and as a result, we can look then at our lives because even as believers, we can still be carnal in certain areas. We still battle against the flesh. You know, the Bible tells us that we battle against the world, the devil, and the flesh. And sometimes our old carnal nature rears its ugly head, and we find ourselves acting in a fleshy manner rather than acting in a spiritual manner. So we can look at Jehoahaz's life and say, right, how was he carnal in his behavior? And how can we kind of take a leaf from, from his book and use it in a way that we can apply it to our lives so that we don't make the same mistakes? You see, Jehoahaz was carnal in his imitation. Who was his idol, if you like? Who did he follow? Who was his role model? Who did he base his whole um, behavior patterns on? He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam. That's who he imitated. That's who he wanted to be like. Uh, Jehoahaz um, is reigning in the northern kingdom, reigns for 17 years uh, and he's not a good leader, not because of who his father was, and we know the type of person that Jehu was. We looked at him a few weeks ago. He wasn't a good person because of the type of person he imitated. He wanted to be like Jeroboam. You know, when Israel split into the two kingdoms, so the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, Jeroboam said, right, I do not want anybody heading to Jerusalem for the feast. And we're going to find out. Um, in the next couple of weeks, what three feasts they had to head to Jerusalem for. But they were commanded to go to Jerusalem three times a year. And Jeroboam's like, there's no way I'm allowing people to head down to Jerusalem because if they go to Jerusalem and they start worshiping Jehovah God and they get in that right relationship with him, they are going to plead an allegiance to the southern kingdom of Judah. So we set up an alternative to being in church. Isn't it amazing how nothing changes? You know how many alternatives there are today to church? There's plenty of alternatives. We could do other things on a Sunday morning. Why is it that now kids' sport activities take place on a Sunday? You know, it always used to be Saturday, but now it's Sunday. There's plenty of other alternatives to keep people out of church. And the effects of Jeroboam's sin to keep people out of Jerusalem, to keep people out of Israel, out of Judah, had a ripple effect even 116 years later when Jehoahaz takes the throne. Can I say this to you? 
Do not ever think that your actions won't have a ripple effect and will affect somebody further down the line. You know, I've always said this, that the way in which we live our lives as Christians will have an effect on our children. If we have a light-hearted attitude towards our walk with the Lord, we can't expect them to have anything different. We need to be careful. We need to understand the power uh, that we have and the influence we have um, in our example, in our testimony. And the question then is, is, would we want anybody to imitate us? If our kids said, I want to be exactly like you, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Would we think, oh, no, don't be like us? And then who do we imitate? Ultimately, we obviously want to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has put certain people in our lives to be godly examples, to be good testimonies. You know, we, uh, the men watched the video on George Malala um, a couple of Tuesdays ago. And it was, it was the most convicting, one of the most convicting things I've ever seen. When you look at that man's faith, when you look at the... He wrote down how many prayers had been answered in his life. 50,000 prayers answered in his life. 30,000 prayers answered within 24 hours. Is that the type of person we'd want to imitate? His faith was incredible. His prayer life was incredible. His walk with the Lord was incredible. Jehoahaz imitated the wrong person. It's a shame he didn't imitate David. Because if he'd imitated David, then obviously things would have been a lot different. You know, I understand um, the, the importance that we have in our walk with the Lord. And it's incredible how the devil puts things in our way to cause us to be tempted, to cause us to get off track, to cause us to have a, a bad testimony, to affect our testimony. You know, when we trust Christ as our Savior, then we want to, um, we want to, to, to live as an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, we want our example to affect our children and our grandchildren, etc., 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 the writer of Hebrews mentions this truth when he spoke of Abel. He said, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Paul is saying, even though Abel died, his testimony still speaks of what he did. So what are others seeing in our lives? Do people see the Lord Jesus Christ in us? Do people see the message that we are preaching by the way in which we live? You know, when we have a conversation, um, you know, through the week then, and, and people say, oh, you're a Christian, what do you do on Sunday then? Oh, nothing, just stayed in, or oh, nothing, you know, um, played golf, oh, nothing, went to... Ah, oh, but I thought you were a Christian. Don't you guys go to church on a Sunday? What type of example is that then showing to people? Because what we are saying is, we don't need to go to church. Christ is not important enough for us to be in church. And I understand that people are ill. 
I understand that people have paid jobs that they have to be in or they will be fired. I understand that. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm not having to go with people who have to work on a Sunday. Um, otherwise, they would lose their jobs and income. But sometimes we make a choice to not be here. You haven't got to answer to me. Hey, hey, listen, don't come to me and say, hey, pastor, I can't make it Sunday because, 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 because. I don't care. It's your choice. As long as you're giving online, then that's okay. But you haven't got to answer to me. You've got to answer to the Lord. And when you stand before the Lord at the beamer seat of Christ, and we give an account of everything we did as Christians, you are the one who has to say to the Lord, well, yeah, but the Lord, the thing is you don't understand. On this particular Sunday, the Lord said, um, I'm omniscient. You do understand. I see your heart, and I see your motives. And I think that's another reason why tears will be wiped away. Because I think there will be some rebuking at that judgment seat, the beamer seat of Christ. So what do people see in our lives? Do they see a godly example? Do they see somebody who absolutely loves the Lord? Who are we imitating in our, in our lives? Are we imitating carnal people? And listen, our kids will imitate somebody. You know, the, you know I, I suppose gone are the days. Do they still do the posters? Remember in Wilbur's, we used to have those big posters. You used to, used to go through. And you'd have like football stars or pop stars or movie stars. And they'd be put up on the wall. And our, you know, kids will want to dress like them and act like them and speak like them. They will imitate somebody. We want to imitate Christ. And as a result, we want others then to imitate us based on our walk with the Lord. Because Jehovah has imitated Jeroboam, it says the anger of the Lord was kindled, not against Jehovah has, against Israel. And he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. You see, because of the way in which Jehovah has acted, that was a green light for Israel to act the same way. And as a result, God's anger was kindled against Israel. Um, that anger being kindled, same in, uh, at the burning bush when Moses made excuse after excuse after excuse. And finally it says that God's anger was kindled against Moses. That word there literally means to flare the nostrils. Um, you can tell when somebody's really angry, when they suddenly the nostrils go. God's anger is kindled against Israel. And as a result, he puts them into the hands of Hazael, the king of Syria. And do you know there are times that God is angry with us? God's angry uh, when we are disobedient. You can see that in Numbers 32. God's angry at our unbelief, Psalm 78. God's angry when we put others before him. We call it idol worship, um, you know, and sometimes we view that as bowing down to some wooden image or some stone statue. But anything we put in front of the Lord is an idol. And that makes him angry. He's even angry when we have a, a hard heart towards him. Mark chapter 3. 
and verse 4 to 6. Do our actions make the Lord angry? then we need to replace disobedience with compliance. We need to replace doubt with faith. We need to replace unbelief with trust. We need to replace discouragement with encouragement. Imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's stop imitating uh, uh, the, the world system and the old flesh um, that we've been saved from. Not only was Jehoahaz carnal in his imitation, he was carnal in his invocation. Um, it says in verse 4, And Joahaz besought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because of the king of Syria oppressed them. God put pressure on his people to elicit a response. God wanted his people to repent. Um, Hebrews 12 10 to 11 says, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God doesn't just chasten us for no reason whatsoever. We are chastened to repent. You know, oftentimes we think, oh, well, it's just unbelievers that need to repent. No. If my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, and what? And repent. Turn from their wicked ways. You know, it's not just for unsaved people to repent. The Lord chastens us sometimes to cause us to change direction. Here we see the king seeking out the Lord. The word besought, here it is an interesting word, it says, Jehoahaz besought the Lord. Uh, it comes from a, a Hebrew word which means to be sick, to be weak, to be in pain, to be sorry, or to beg. Um, commentators say it might have been that the king was crying out to God because he was weakened physically, as well as emotionally from the stress of the Syrian attacks. You know, the incredible thing is, is that no matter how far we stray, how far we, or how, how far we stumble and fall, and the Lord always gives us the opportunity to repent. The Lord always gives us the opportunity to return back to him. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. I read a really interesting um, illustration this week. Um, Tony Evans shared a, a, a story about a man who was on his way to catch a train. He had to get to work for an important meeting, and he had to catch the 805 train. It had rained the night before, um, and the man was rushing out the door. As he opened the back door, there was his little boy playing in the mud. He was busy rubbing mud on his face, mud on his arms, and just having a good old time playing in the mud. <clears throat> the father, intent on catching the 805 train, jumped over his son, said goodbye to him, and rushed out of the house to catch the 805 train. But he slipped and fell in the mud right next to his son. Now the father was in the mud, and the son was in the mud, but the father had to catch the 805 train. 
he had a place to go. Because of where he needed to go, he did not stay in the mud and play with his son. His son enjoyed playing in the mud and did not try to go anywhere. But the father had a train to catch. He jumped up out of the mud best as he could, cleaned himself off, took off running because he had to catch the 805 train. He knew that on that train there'd be a, 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 like a, a bathroom type of thing, a restroom where he could clean up the dirt um, that he had accumulated during the time he was in the mud. And then um, Dr. Evans goes on to say this. There are two kinds of people today. There are some who are playing in the mud and are not trying to go anywhere. There are other people who are in the mud but don't want to be. They get up. They want to get cleaned up. Maybe you've slipped in the mud or maybe you've walked into the mud. But now it's dawned on you, you've got a train to catch. Don't stay in the mud. Get yourself cleaned up. Um, the blood of Christ cleanseth all, us from all sin. If you like, he has saved us from the mud. It doesn't mean we'll never fall back into the mud. But what it means is we're not meant to stay there. Get up, get cleaned off, and get busy for the Lord. Sin always has consequences. But grace is greater than our sin. The Lord gave Israel a savior in verse 5. So they went out from under the hand of the Syrians. And the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before time. Jehovah has his invocation. Jehovah has his prayer. Was from a carnal point of view. He wasn't praying because he was repentant. He wasn't praying because he wanted to get his life back. He was right with God. He wasn't praying to get out of the mud. He was praying because he was losing his power. But how incredible that God answered his prayer, not for Jehoahaz's sake, but for Israel's sake. God raised up a liberator to rescue his people. You know, and I'm thankful that God does that for us. We didn't deserve it, but God raised up a liberator to set us free from our sin. Uh, we did nothing to earn it, but God raised up a redeemer to rescue us from our sinful condition. We didn't do anything uh, to, to, to appease God, but God raised up somebody who would ransom us and rescue us and redeem us and restore us uh, when he died upon the cross of Calvary. And we see God doing that all through the Old Testament. We see God doing that with Daniel in the den of lions. Where God raised up a liberator, as it were, as he set his angels charge over Daniel in that lion's den. We see it with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace when God raised up a liberator to walk with those boys through the fire and loose their bounds. Uh, we see it uh, through uh, the Lord with his protecting hand upon Joseph as he brought him from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison to the palace uh, to rescue his people Israel. Uh, when we look at all that he did for, for Gideon and his 300 men, when we look at all that he did for Israel uh, through Moses as he brought them out of Egypt uh, into the promised land, as we look at what God has done for his people all through the ages, we understand that he still does that for us today. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope for salvation was in him. And guess what? Our invocation, our prayers ought not to be carnal in nature. They ought to be spiritual in nature. 
how we ought to go before the Lord and thank him for all that he's done for us instead of just going with our shopping list of our needs and our aches and our pains. Uh, well, how would we spend as much time as we do on that in our prayer time and just praising the Lord? He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jehoahaz's invocation, Jehoahaz's prayer was carnal in nature. He wasn't praying for the nation to be redeemed. He was simply praying to get out of a sticky situation. But then we see that he was still carnal in his institution. You know, you have somebody being institutionalized Jehoahaz was stuck in his idol worship. Even after God answered his prayer. Even after God delivered uh, Israel from the hands of the Syrians. Verse 6, how do, they, how do they repay the Lord for this wonderful answer to prayer? Nevertheless, they departed not from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin, but walked therein. And they remained the grove also in Samaria. God delivered his people but they're institutionalized. They can't help themselves. They have been so brainwashed into worshiping these idols that even when God miraculously answers prayer, they say, well, it must have been the, must have been the golden calves that did it. You know, it, it must have been Ashtaroth or, or Chemosh or Baal or one of these other Canaanite gods that they were so ridiculously... Um, why would they keep worshiping them? God delivered his people, but their sin remained. The Asherah poles in, uh, or idols remained in Samaria. Asherah was the leading pagan goddess of the false Canaanite deities. Uh, the idol was popular because it was the sex goddess. It was the goddess of fertility. Uh, she was commonly worshipped at shrines in or near groves of evergreen trees, um, and they weren't removed. Why? Because it appealed to their carnal nature. You imagine if I turned around today now and said, hey, this particular sin is okay. You can all do it. You'd be like, oh, cool, okay. Because guess what? The flesh is always pulled towards sin anyway. But once you get the green light to do it, it tickled me when, um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being political not blaming any political party for anything. But one of our prime ministers several years ago thought in order to conquer the alcohol problem that we have in this country, we'll have 24-hour pub openings. Did that fix the alcohol problem? No. It just gave a green light for people to be able to get a drink whenever they wanted to. You know, these, are, these people had a green light to sin. And it appealed to their carnal nature. They were, they were institutionalized. They were like, well, this is great. Because we're free to do whatever we want to do. They were meant to burn down these groves. Deuteronomy 12 says, and uh, you shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And he shall hew down all the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. 
These people called upon the Lord because it suited them. And even after the Lord answered their prayers, how did they repay him? By going straight back to what they were doing before they even prayed. There was no genuine repentance in their hearts. And when we think about it, there's no difference today, really. We kind of, and I'm not tarring everybody with the same brush. Please don't think that. But there are some people who will pray for things, and even after that prayer is answered, they just put God back up on the shelf and carry on with things as if nothing's happened. You know, and that blows my mind a bit. And I wonder how God must feel. Think, oh, well, I just, I just kind of answered that prayer for you, and you've just gone back to doing exactly what you were doing before I answered that prayer. You know, it's like when kids say to the, you know, to their parents when they're little, you know, they want a toy, they want a toy, and they say, well, I get that toy if, if you can behave. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll behave. Oh, I'll behave. I, I would always behave if there was a, if there was a. a, a possibility of a toy. Luckies, as my mum and dad would say, off oh, you behave and I'll give you luckies. Well, I behaved long enough to get the luckies and as soon as I got the luckies, that was it then. I was back to normal. Tearing things up and just acting out. Sometimes believers are like that. Oh Lord, if you give me that, I promise, I promise, I promise. If you, you, know, if you, if you give me that promotion, I promise, I promise, I promise, I'll tithe on it. And then you think, oh, there's a bit more money. Perhaps I don't want to tithe all of that. Oh, Lord, if you, you know, if you answer this prayer, I promise, I promise, I promise, I'll go to church every week on Sunday. And then the next Sunday after that prayer is answered, like, mm, yeah, but I can't really make it today. Oh, Lord, I promise, I promise, I promise, I'll read my Bible every single day if you do. We make promises to the Lord, as long as you answer that prayer, Lord, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do. Sometimes we're institutionalized. We are so caught up in our everyday activities that once God answers our prayer, we simply just put him back up on the shelf until the next time we need him. Paul said this to the church of Thessalonica, for they themselves show us of what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. God makes a difference in people's lives, and the church here turned from the idols to serve the living God. And if God has saved us, then we need to turn from the idols of the world. We need to turn from the golden calves that are set up in Dan and Bethel. We need to turn from those and turn to the, to the God that has offered us eternal life, to the God that has actually changed our lives, to the God that is actually real and works in our lives. Neither did he leave of the people of the Jehovah has but 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 footmen. For the king of Syria destroyed them and had made them like the dust by threshing. The security of the people had been reduced to nothing. That's not a massive army when you think about 50 horsemen, 10 chariots. Who are they going to defend themselves against? 10,000 soldiers? That's, that's, that's not... A, a vast army at all. That is nothing in comparison to the type of armies that they've had previous to this. The nation of Israel couldn't stand before their enemies. They didn't have the army to do it. Joshua 7, 12 said, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursing from among you. 
This has followed, this verse here in Joshua has followed one of the greatest victories Israel enjoyed over Jericho. But because of Achan's sin, when he took the accursed things from Jericho that God said, don't touch. God said, I, now you're not going to be able to defeat your enemies. Here's the thing. We fight against a very real enemy. And we need to understand that. The devil is very real. And we fight against him. He is a roaring lion walking about this earth, seeking whom he may devour. We cannot fight him on our own. We do not have the strength to come up against him. And if we are so carnal in our imitation of wrong people, in our invocation with our prayers, are insincere in our institutions whereby we still hold on to the things of the world, how can we expect God to defend us and fight our battles when we are not walking in accordance with his word or his will? You look at Samson, the same exact thing happened to Samson. And when he flirted with sin, and listen, it wasn't like just jumping in both feet. Delilah was getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to the truth until he finally just gave in. And as a result, he lost his power. He lost his strength. He lost his witness. He lost his sight. He lost everything because of his carnality. We need to be attached to the vine. Because without Christ, we can do nothing. When we are sold out for the Lord, he can even take our difficulties. We, I talked about this a little bit on, uh, on Wednesday. Um, and Isaiah 61.3 says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Can I say this? The trials and troubles may pound our lives, but when God is our shield, then he can turn uh, those ashes into beauty. The wounds of sickness may frighten us and sting, but God's hand provides healing for the heart and the mind and the soul uh, to give us an oil of joy for mourning. Food and money may be meager and quickly fade, but God has promised to supply all of our needs so that he puts that garment of praise on us when our spirit is so heavy. Uh, the taunts of the crowd from the world and from family may discourage our heart, but God gives us grace to keep going on that we might be called the tree of righteousness. Uh, we need to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven because when our Lord returns, then we'll have our reward and as a result the planting of the Lord in that way in our lives glorifies him but sometimes we can be so carnal we go back to the old life because that flesh still has a pull on us the world still has a pull on us and the devil is happily stood behind us just pushing us in that direction. We still have a choice. God doesn't force us to live a Christian life. God doesn't force us to, to walk in accordance with his will. 
Joshua said. You know, we often take that verse out of context a little bit, and we quote part of it. You know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the first part of that verse says, Joshua says, look, make up your mind. At the moment, you've got one foot in the world, and you've got one foot in church. You, you, you're serving idols on this hand, and then on, on the Sabbath, you're worshiping God uh, on this hand. You know, you, you're praying to your idols, uh, you know, for, for, for so long uh, through the day, and then you kind of bring in your offering then towards the end of the day just to kind of tick the boxes, just to edge your bets. And Joshua said, you've got to make up your mind. God's not fooled by that type of carnal worship. Choose this day who you're going to follow. If you want to follow the world, go back to the world. Because you're not doing any good for the testimony of God. If you want to serve the Lord, then serve the Lord. Joshua said, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And we have a choice to make. We can either be carnal or we can be spiritual. Jehoahaz was carnal in his imitation. He he imitated Jeroboam. Jeroboam was not a good person to imitate. He was carnal in his invocation. He didn't pray from a repentant heart. He prayed from a person who was like, oh no, what do I do? Um, I better pray for self-preservation so I don't lose face in front of the crowd. He was carnal in his institutions. Idolatry, they were institutionalized by idolatry. You know, it's been said, and we've said this time and time again, it was, and I don't, I'm not saying this because there's a lack of God's power, but you understand what I'm saying. It was easier for God to get Israel out of Egypt than it was for God to get Egypt out of Israel. Sometimes, It was easier for God to get us out of the world when we got saved than it was for him to get the world out of us. We still have that pull. The spirit and the flesh are at enmity with one another. They are in a battle. The world is still trying to pull us back. And the devil is quite happily saying, you go ahead. Because there's pleasure in sin. Yeah, there's other things you can be doing on a Sunday. Just, you'll be okay. God will forgive you, wouldn't he? But that's carnal behavior. He might forgive us, but don't expect him to bless us. He honors those that honor him. He draws close to those who draw close to him. Yeah, he's promised to never leave us and never forsake us. He's with us always. And that should be a challenge to us. And I just pray that we are not carnal in the way that we behave. Because God deserves far more than that from us because of all that he's done for us. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together and for this opportunity to come around your word, Lord. We pray you continue to speak to our hearts today, Lord. And we just ask that you'd forgive us for those moments in our lives where we flirt with the things of the world, where we kind of head back towards our old sinful life. Father, help us to recognize what you've saved us from. Lord, there'll come a day where we stand before you and give an account of everything we've done as believers. Father, I I wonder sometimes if, if that'll embarrass us because we've not really lived our lives as we should 
for your glory. Lord, you've done so much for us. And yet sometimes we feel like you ask too much of us just to spend time with you in prayer, to spend time in your word, to spend time in your church. But Lord, help us to imitate the right people. Help us to pray in the right way. And help us, Lord, to focus our lives upon the right things. Help us to turn our eyes and look unto the author and finisher of our faith, of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we are thankful for all that you do for us. And Lord, we are thankful for your chastening hand that puts us back on the right path, that puts us back in the right direction. And Lord, I pray that you'd never let us get away with too much so that we wander too far, end up like the prodigal son in the far country, that we would remember the blessings we have in the Father's house. So Lord, we pray and ask these things in Christ's most wonderful and perfect name. Amen. Amen. We stand and sing our last hymn together.
me uh, this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the challenge and the encouragement of your word again, Lord. We pray that as we leave this place that we consider the words that we've heard, Lord, and we continue praising, praising you, Lord, in all that we do. So, Lord, we pray that you would be with us through the rest of this day until we gather together again uh, later on. And we just pray your blessing upon each and every one, Lord. We pray for those who are not with us, Lord, or those who are unwell, those who are, uh, would like to be here but uh, couldn't. We pray that you would just uh, uh, make up this time to them, Lord, and bless them, we pray. So uh, we just pray for your blessing, Lord, and we give you all the thanks and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.